Morning. All right. Let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer again. Sir, I don't believe I know you. What's your name? I'm just a stranger. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're here for the deacon election, though, ain't you? Oh, go ahead and pray for Thank you, Lord, Father. Another chance to come out to your house. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, now Chris ain't here, so somebody's going to have to pick up on his slack for participating. Matthew chapter 10, start reading in verse 1, we're talking about Peter, and might finish him up today, we'll see. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he, that being Jesus, had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So talking about Peter, anybody remember where we left off last time, what we talked about last time? Anybody? It'll be a long morning. <laughs> anybody? We talked about, well, there toward the end, we talked about Peter in the house of Cornelius. That's what we talked about. Um, these things that had happened with Peter. We read a couple of verses in Acts chapter 15. Um, we talked about him in the house of Cornelius and the Holy Spirit falling on those Gentiles and how that, it's no big deal to us that that happened, but it was to them back then. Um, and it took some of them a long time to except the fact that God was offering salvation, the same salvation that he offered to the Jewish people, to Gentiles. Um, that was hard for some of them. And so we, we talked a little bit about that, um, being in Peter's shoes for that. It must have been an amazing thing. Um, but as we've thought about Peter, now we, we also said, you know, that he's passing off. We, we've We've read everything we can in the Bible with regard to his life. We've talked about him in the Gospels. We've talked about him in the book of Acts. And that's it. That, those verses in Acts chapter 15, that's it. That's the end of the mention of Peter um, as far as that goes. Now, there's some things there with Paul that kind of tie in to some of those same times. But, but as far as that goes, that, that's it for Peter. Um, so think about where we've come with this man. He started out as an old rugged fisherman and started following Christ. <clears throat> and at some point, he rose to a prominent position uh, among his disciples and even among the 12 that he called apostles. And he was a leader, there's no doubt. We saw time and time again, whether sometimes he was right, sometimes he was wrong, 
where he would do something or say something and the rest of the apostles would say, we're, we're doing it with you. Just like when he went fishing after Jesus died. I'm going fishing. The other disciples said, we're going with you. Um, so he was a leader. Not always right, but he was a leader. We saw him say some things for which Jesus praised him. And you didn't have to read too far before he would say something and Jesus would have to scold him. And that reminds me of my own life. Um, it's, it's, you don't need to be humbled when you're down here. <laughs> but you might get humbled when you get yourself up here. So we need to be careful about that. Um, and we followed him all the way through. All the way through to where he denied Christ. And Peter, uh, J uh, Jesus had the talk with him there at the end of the book of John about feeding his sheep and then into the book of the Acts of the Apostles, all the things that he did, the healings and, uh, and things like that. Um, he dealt with some things in the early days of the church. Uh, he dealt with that, the account of Ananias and Sapphira. He dealt with that sorcerer, uh, Simon, in Acts chapter 8. Um, and so we've seen him grow. And we, we talked about that. He had had a lot of the character traits that he was going to need to be this man in the work of Christ. But Christ had to refine those things. Yes, he was bold, but it was a reckless bold <laughs> that he was. And we saw that. Um, Christ had to refine those things. So even in some of his writings, which we're about to get to, you see a difference in the life of Peter. And... That's how it ought to be. Now, don't forget the whole reason we're looking at these apostles. It's easy just to look at what the Bible says about the person. And, but no, we should apply these things to our life. That's why we're looking at the apostles. If God can use these men, God can use all of us. And these men were not perfect. And so as, you looked at, at the, as we looked at the life of Peter, and we looked at how he was changed and transformed as he followed Christ and as Christ dealt with him in some things and he learned lessons and he still wasn't perfect, but he was different. And that's the way it ought to be in our Christian life. When God saves you, you should not be at the same place 10 years from then. If you do, something's wrong. We should be growing in grace. Peter talks about it. I don't know that we'll read it, but he t as he talks about... Um, you know, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, but later we're told in the Bible that some, he's, he's talking to some others and that they're, they're mature. And he says, you should be eating meat by now, but you're not. And honestly, I can't remember if that's Peter or Paul. But one of them, you should be eating meat by now, but, but you're not. I can't talk to you of these things that I should be able to talk to you about because you're still an infant in Christ after all these years that shouldn't be that way but oftentimes it is how does that change in our life what changes that we're saved by the grace of God how do we get to the person that Christ wants us to be okay expand on that Jim said discipleship
experience. But after I was saved, I did not receive any kind of Christian education or discipleship. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not disparaging anybody. But I was a teenager, you know, and I did not, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess, nobody took me under their wing and told me anything or showed me anything. And before long, I was, you know, pretty much doing the same things I was doing before. Yeah. Because I didn't receive any any type of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And years and years later, I basically figured that out on my own. Yeah. I, d- I don't know how many will agree, I, and it don't matter. And that's what I think. I think the church has done a poor job of discipleship. Poor job of discipleship. We want to see people saved. When they get saved, we're done with them. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. I was talking to somebody about that this week. Um, how that, I don't know how I can um, <laughs> talk about this without giving it away. It's nobody here. Um, I was talking with my grandmother. And we were talking about, I don't, I don't want to get off on this, but we were talking about the disregard people seem to have for the house of God nowadays. Mm -hmm. How preachers don't wear suits anymore. They don't wear ties anymore. They come in in blue jeans with their shirt untucked with tennis shoes on and get behind the pulpit. And preachers' wives wear holy blue jeans to church. And you can think what you want, but that is disrespectful in my opinion. And I was talking with my grandmother, and she's having a hard time with it. And rightly so. Um... But, yeah, well, a lot of times that's the man of God's fault. Well, because, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we, yeah, we've talked about that before, too. There used to be a regard for the church, and there are certain things you wouldn't do. Yes. You know, you might not catch people doing donuts in the parking lot because they had some type of regard for the church, but that's pretty much gone nowadays. And, and some of that is our fault as a church, which is what I meant. Yeah, that's, that's true. And I, I, I said I didn't want to get off on that. <laughs> but I guess we've got to touch on it a little bit. Greg's right. I, I've, these seminaries, that's who's filling our pulpits, and I'm concerned. And it ought to be a matter of prayer for us. Um, but my, I was talking with my grandmother, and she was talking about that, and, and a pastor's wife that she struggles with, what she wears, and we were talking about how the Bible talks about that the older women should bring in the younger women. Well, are they? No, they're not. But nowadays, the younger women wouldn't hear it. So we live in a time where the church is going through a makeover, and it's not a good one. And... Um, it just it just shouldn't be some of those ways. I probably shouldn't have got off on that, but Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to move on. <laughs> but, you know, it's sad that um, she was, she, when, when we were talking about preachers and the churches she had been and preachers dressing like they do, and it's sad, but I did say, you're lucky they didn't show up in a pair of shorts and flip-flops and get up there. Because that's happening. I'm done with that. Um, we ought to be growing in grace and in the Lord. And so discipleship has a lot to do with it. Are we discipling like we should? The answer is no. Um, what do we do about it? Well, that's another topic of conversation. What else? How, how, do we, how do we grow? How do you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Bible tells you to? And he doesn't he didn't just tell us that just to be telling us. It's what's best for us. It's the only way you can have that peace that passes all understanding. Um, now, some of that, I think, definitely comes when you get saved. But are you going to have the same peace if you live for Christ throughout that whole time or if you turn your back on him and you start going back into the things of the world? I don't think it's going to be the same. But not that you can't be restored. You can. But how do, you, how do we grow in grace as a child of God and in the knowledge? Okay, participate in... Some of it's about who you hang out with. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. What else? I actually thought that's where we'd end up going first, with personal responsibility. We ended up going with outside responsibility, you know, and I think there are some outside things that affect us like that, but there's a lot of personal responsibility. Are we spending time in prayer like we should? Are we reading our Bible like we should? How do we expect to know the mind of Christ if we never talk to him and we never read his word? How can you expect to do that? Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's some personal responsibility about, about growth there. Um, so, there should be a growth as we look at Peter. He, he grew, and you can go from what you read about him the first time you see him in the Bible to the last couple of words he says in his epistles, and you can see that he's a changed man. Things have changed, but we looked at all these acts, of, of Peter here and looked at him in the book of Acts. Now I want to look for a few minutes at his contribution to our Bible. So how did Peter contribute to our Bible besides just his life being told about in it? He wrote two epistles, First and Second Peter. So turn to First Peter real quick. 
First Peter. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First Peter. First Peter. First Peter was most likely written between A.D. 62 and 65, as far as we can tell. Sometime between the closing of the book of Acts and John's exile to Patmos was where Peter writes, not only 1 Peter, but, but most likely 2 Peter as well. Um, does anybody know the, what's going on in the world at this time? Who the ruling group is during this? Anybody? The Romans. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the Romans. Um, does anybody know who the Caesar was during this time? You know, Caesar's a title, not a name. Caesar Nero. So, a lot of you, as soon as you, as soon as you hear that name, you're like, yeah, and you should be. Um, he started out okay. Turned completely <laughs> bad. He started out okay as far as the liberation and liberty of his people completely turned from that. Um, Caesar Nero took the throne in, in A.D. 54 from Claudius. He was 16 years old, too young to run an empire, too young. Um, Ten years after he took the throne, there was a fire in Rome, the great fire of Rome. It burned 70% of Rome. And many people suspect that Nero started it himself. But does anybody know who he blamed it on? He blamed it on the Christians. He blamed it on the Christians and caused widespread um, persecution in the empire widespread this is this is the stuff that you hear of and and the, and the and the ones that come after Nero of the Christians being torn by dogs and being thrown in these arenas and with these tigers and things like that let loose with them and torn asunder and um, yeah it is where we have we, we got Roman candles Nero Nero would, sometimes he would kill them from what I read. Sometimes he wouldn't kill them. He would crucify them in his garden and set them on fire. And they would illuminate his garden. That's what they thought of Christians back then. Now, that is what's going on when Peter's writing this epistle of 1 Peter. That type of persecution. Um, not only that, but... When you think about, there's kind of a delineation. Now, I know in salvation there's not. But between Jew and Gentile, I want to make a delineation. The Jewish, people, the Jewish Christians, yeah, they were, they were facing that same persecution. But they were also facing a different type of persecution from their Jewish brethren and leaders um, to turn back to Judaism. And so Peter writes an epistle. And it's all about um, hope. 
It's all about what hope we have in our suffering. That's why I set it up that way. You've got Christians being burned alive, <laughs> illuminating gardens. They, it, it was a terrible time of persecution. It brought the church closer together, which persecution always does. Um, but it was a terrible time of persecution. You had Jewish Christians, um, evidently, some of them might have, some of them thinking about turning back to Judaism. Just getting rid of this Christian persecution and turn back to Judaism. It'd be a lot easier. Life, physically. Um, so so this, is the, this is the setting of the book of 1 Peter. Um, hope in suffering. And Peter's writing uh, to, well, it tells us. Look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's writing to, and he goes on and says, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Definitely not getting into that today. He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor, anybody know what Asia Minor is today? It's present day, anybody? Turkey, for the most part. It's present day Turkey. So, this is where Asia Minor is, present-day Turkey. That's who he's writing to. These people harshly treated by Rome, harshly treated by the Jewish leaders. And Peter tries to admonish them not to turn their back on Christianity. Whether it's turning back to Judaism or just forsaking it altogether, don't turn your back on it. Um, he understands that Whatever relief you have by doing that is only temporal. While, you know, maybe, you know, you're facing death and they say if you recant that they won't kill you, well, they may not. But that's only a temporal thing. But he does remind them they have hope in suffering. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not as way reserved in heaven for you. He's trying to get their eyes on what's coming. What's coming for the Christian? Look at verse 13. Wherefore, gird, oh, excuse me, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then one of the main verses in, in 1 Peter, if not the main one, is 4.12. So look at chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Now how in the world are you going to rejoice in what I was talking about a few minutes ago? He says rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Think about the future. Think about what's coming. Try to get your eyes off of the current circumstances and get your eyes back on Christ and what, what you have coming 
as a child of God. So Peter's book, 1 Peter, and we'll look at 2 Peter, but 1 Peter is all about hope and suffering. Now he says some other things. He says some things to the leaders of the church uh, in chapter 5. Um, and I think we talked about that before where if you look at verse 6 and 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Humble yourself. When we first started talking about Peter and looking at Peter, that didn't sound like Peter. Humble yourself. He wanted to fight somebody. But now he's, he has grown. God has made a change in this man. And he tells some things to the leaders of the church. Now, as far as um, a lot of you probably won't care about this, but if you do much reading on this, there's a huge debate, and, and it's, it's becoming just prevalent about different things. I encourage you not to even read it. But there's a huge debate that maybe Peter didn't even write this book. Um, some point to the language and how, how uh, um, polished the style is and how could an old fisherman from Galilee be responsible for anything like that <laughs> is one thought um, another one is it's so similar doctrinally to a lot of Paul's writings that some people say, well, Paul's really the writer. Or a guy named Silvanus. Anybody know who Silvanus is? Not much to know about him. But if you look down there in verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So, what, what is he saying there? What is Sylvanus doing for Peter? <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's evidently writing the book. He was his scribe, at least for this. Um, I have read that, that uh, Peter didn't know Greek. And that, of course... It came, from, it came from God through Peter, but that Sylvanus put, it, put pen to paper, basically. And so a lot of people say, well, Peter really didn't have anything to do with it. It's all Sylvanus. But no, it's Peter. You can go uh, to different places here. But why would you go any further than verse 1? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. That's good enough for me. Peter. The author here. Now, Second Peter is a little bit different. So, flip a few pages, and we only got a minute or two here. Second Peter is a little bit different. First Peter is all about hope and suffering. Now, Second Peter was written shortly after this. I don't know, a year or two, maybe after after First Peter. Um, it was written just a short time before Peter would die. And I think we'll probably read a verse that talks about his martyrdom here in a second. But Second Peter, while First Peter is focused on um, 
problems from the outside, persecution and things like that, and staying true and having hope. Second Peter is focused on problems on the inside. <laughs> problems on the inside. He talks a lot about being humble. He talks a lot about laying these things down and picking these things up and going on for Christ. If you look in verses 3 through 14, that's all about growing in Christ. Um, let's read some of that. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, listen, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. Uh-oh, we might not skip that one. <laughs> Nobody likes patience. And to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, not love. I do not accept substituting the word love for charity. It's different. Charity is love in action. I can love Andra and never do anything for her to show her that. If I'm charitable toward her, I'm doing things for her that show her that I love her. When the Bible says charity, guess what it means? It means charity. Um, but he said, add to these things. Add these things. So even after you save, guess what? There's things that need to be added. Now, I'm not talking about to get you to heaven. But I'm talking about to live the life, the Christian life that God intends us to live. There's some things we ought to be doing. And evidently, there's some, some character traits that ought to be, that we ought to be adding. Um, Brother Ronnie, when you got saved, did you automatically get the patience that you needed to have? I don't even know if you got it today. Maybe you do. I'm <laughs> still working on it. What about temperance? Still working on it. Me too. So there's some things that have to be done. It's a, it's, a, it's a sanctification process. It's not a sanctification event. It is a process. And it takes the whole life of the Christian. But Second Peter is a little bit different. Now, there's a lot of things in Second Peter. You have a lot of, you have a lot of things that, that Peter talks about that let us know that this is Peter. Um, he talks about uh, the transfiguration of Christ in this first chapter. He references his first epistle in chapter 3. Um, he mentions some things about Paul. Um, in verse 14, look at this. Well, I want to go before 14. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Now, what's he talking about? That building that he's standing in? No, he's talking about his body. As long as I'm alive, I think it's meet or necessary to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Look at verse 14 is what I was talking about earlier. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Now there's some questions about what he's talking about there at the end. 
as his Lord Jesus Christ has showed him. What do you think he may be talking about there? There's something that happened earlier in his life that he could be referring to. Anybody remember? I know somebody does. Y'all just aren't talking. He had an interaction with Jesus, and Jesus told him. You know, he said, and I'm not going to turn to it for the sake of time, so uh, look it up later if you don't believe me. But he said, basically, when you're young, you can do whatever you want to. He said, but when you get old, he said, others are going to carry you. And he talks about him being killed and martyred for his faith. And so Jesus had already told him that that was coming. Um, and so he knows that shortly he's going he's to die. Now, some of the key themes, quickly, of his second epistle are spiritual growth. We talked about that in verses uh, 5 to 7 or 8 or so, 7 maybe. He talks about the infallibility of Scripture um, in verse 20 of chapter 1, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is, is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How many times have you heard that verse quoted when it's talking about the infallibility of Scripture? That's in First Peter. Um, he said, God gave us his word. It's not the words of men. And then we talked about when we were doing the Revelation study, we went to, we went to Peter a couple of times. He's gonna, he talks about the destruction of the earth in, ver, in chapter 3, uh, toward the end of the chapter. He's talking about the, the destruction of the earth and elements being dissolved. And he goes on to talk about the new heaven and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's here in First Peter. But he ends in verse 18 this epistle by saying but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I think he understood that it was important that you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's something that he had done in his life um, to him be glory both now and forever amen so, Peter's contribution to the Bible, First and Second Peter. Now, that's not it. We didn't finish him. We, probably, we will finish him next time. Um, there's something else in the Bible where Peter has contributed. We mentioned it. I mentioned it one time briefly. Um, but he contributes in another way, I think, and we'll look at that next time. All right. Johnny, you want to dismiss us?